chapter 1, verse 2. So we're going to read tonight what all the little sheepies at Happy Valley do when they go through trials. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, isn't that what all y'all do? I thought it was. Just like I do. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now we'll see in a couple instances tonight the English word perfect and the way that it's used in the New Testament doesn't always mean what we think in our mind. People think of perfect as being sinless, but it doesn't apply here in James, nor does it apply in Hebrews, as we'll look at it shortly. But it is completing. It's adding that which is lacking to be able to fulfill a position. So let's read that again with that in mind. Now, not human sinlessness, not without fault, not without mistake, but to complete something that needs to be finished in your life. Verse 3 again. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. It doesn't make it, but it works it. But let patience have her complete or fulfilled or accomplished work, that you may be complete, fulfilled, or accomplished, or that which is lacked added to your life. Let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire because if patience is what brings us perfection, what about the blood of the Lord Jesus? How many believe you need the fivefold ministry for the perfecting of the saints? But that's not what makes you sinless. What makes you sinless is the blood. What's the fivefold ministry do? builds you up. It helps you to be complete. A preacher don't make you sinless. There's only one thing that will make you sinless, and that's the Lord Jesus. So patience doesn't make you sinless. It makes you complete to be able to walk where God wants you. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing or lacking nothing. How many wants that with all your heart? Let's bow our heads together. Ask God's blessings on the Lord. Lord Jesus, if we know our hearts tonight, truly, this is what we desire. For many of us, Lord, we've given our lives to you many, many years ago. Our souls are yours. They have your stamp on them, your seal of ownership. But yet, Father, it's that everyday life we desire to be more faithful in. And for many of these people tonight, Father, it's not that they're struggling with drinking and alcohol and drugs and things like that. 
But they're still humans, and it's the imperfection of their humanity, the weakness still lacking in their character. And it can so work on us as humans, Lord. But you know, you look at our hearts and you see our souls and know what we are and what we desire. And you are willing to take years, decades if necessary, to stretch out the longevity of this plan, to make it work, to be able to make us to where in our end we will be complete. Thank you, Father for understanding how we are as humans. Thank you for being merciful. Thank you for being patient with us. So may we understand when we are being tried to build our patience, that's only half the story. We have tried yours many, many, many times. As James said, that you patiently wait for the fruit of the earth. Help us, I pray, Father. Speak to us tonight from your word. Grant it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. Let's look at verse 2 again. And, you know, imagine now when James writes this, it's written around 60, 58 to 60 A.D. So the church has been in, in existence now from 33 to 55. So they've, they've been through a lot of things. They've seen all kinds of persecution. They've dealt with false doctrine. They've seen false churches raise up, false preachers. They've had so many ups and downs in the church. They've got problems in the family. They've got doctrinal problems. They've got church age problems because now the white horse rider, the Antichrist, is already moving among them. So they have all types of issues, and they were first century issues, different from ours, but yet similar to ours as well in the sense that man are still the same, pretty much. I mean, we live in a different age, but we still have the things that bother us, and it comes to the same senses. And we know that through see, taste, feel, smell, and hear, imagination, memory, conscience, reason, affection, all of those, still comes in the same avenue. They have a different color about them, have a different aspect, but it still affects us in the same way. And James was trying to be able, by the Spirit of God, to place the church in a place during their heavy trials and during their temptations because now it's not the initial stage when everything is new. Sort of like a marriage, man and woman fall in love and oh my goodness, they just love everything about one another. They just love one another so much the honey's just rolling off of each one and everything is ooey gooey and then after a few months you wish you'd eat her up. You wish you'd just got rid of her or you wish you'd have got rid of him, you know, while the honey was there. Because you're wondering what happened to the honey because now it seems like it's uh, salt or it's uh, persimmon juice or something. Something about this marriage is, has turned where it's not near as sweet as it was. Well, I know that happened to none of you all, but you all know how some of these sorry people are that stream these services. So the Lord wants me to say stuff for them every now and then. And it's the same way it was now with the church because the church was new. And the church was something that was drawing. You know how something new is. And it has a new flavor about it. It has a new approach. It had never been anything like it on the earth. And some of the people were now, it was becoming common. 
It was becoming common to have church and to go to church and to hear preachers preach. They never heard that in the Old Testament. You know, they just didn't do it that way. They didn't get together on the first day of the week because they got together on the seventh day of the week. And they really didn't do that regularly because the men, if they lived outside the city somewhere, it was only required for them to come to, to church three times a week. So that was the main thing that they did, three times a year rather. So they would come at those three times a year. But now this has sort of changed. So now the apostles are teaching that they ought to come together one time a week. Boy, some of them had a hard time meeting three times a week the way we did. So it was totally different. No doubt initially they really loved it. They thought, wow, this is wonderful. This is really something. We're able to meet together on the day of the Lord and we're having communion together and we're fellowshipping around the Word and it's, it's really something. But after a while it became, kind of, well, you know what? I don't know if we really need to come to church that often and I don't know if we really need to hear this preaching I mean do we have to have it every week and do, do these preachers need to write all these letters Paul's writing one James is writing one Peter's writing another my goodness we're getting bombarded it seemed like every way we turn they're saying don't do this don't go there you can't do this no more you can't act like that you can't speak this way you need to bring your temper under control you've got to have temperance you've got to have what, what in the world have I got into it seemed like to me that this thing ain't nothing but a bunch of do's and don'ts and you can and you can't well my goodness I thought the law was hard but those that were born again loved it but we know in every move everybody around that move is not born again and some of them in time, you know, it just kind of wears on them. And, and then trials become. And then God was actually starting the development of a Christ-like character, which would only be in the elect side of this move. Now remember, every revival produces a set of twins. In that revival, initially they will come out of the womb of the message, and they will goo-goo, dad-da, mama. They will look exactly the same. They will act the same. They'll say the same cliches. They'll say, the same quotes, paraphrase the same words, because the devil wants to confuse them on which one is the real baby. But yet they have the same mother, but they have different fathers. One of them is born by the bread of God, the word of God, and the other one is serpent seed. Well, praise the Lord. So Satan had already started these twins now, and these ones, were they were being tried and tested, and there was others among them, and they seemed so free from some of this stuff. And they were the more carnal type Christians, and they were the ones that it didn't seem like nobody demanded near as much. And it must have been in a mystery form, because it seemed to them that even God didn't demand as much. So they're going to the same church and they're supposedly believing the same thing. And yet here's some, they come and they want, they leave and they want, they do whatever they want pretty much. And the others seem like they go through one thing after another and they are tested and tried. And yet both of them say they believe the same thing. And yet this must have been quite an ordeal for the elect of God because they knew their heart, they knew their soul. Lord, I love you with all my heart. What is wrong with me? I know this person here. They, they lie. They pull shady deals. They do this and that and the other that's not right. And it seemed like they shout more than I do. It seemed like the blessing of God is on their life more than it is on mine. It seemed like they have a lot less trouble than I do. What in the world is wrong? And James and Peter 
and Paul felt led of the Lord to help the saints of God see look no don't, don't be troubled and don't think that something is wrong because you're being tried now they're not just comparing them keep in mind they're not just comparing them to the world but they're also doing a parallel comparison between the elect of God and the other twin which was saying they believe the same thing they do and yet they're saying, oh my, we believe Paul, we believe the cross, we believe the blood, we believe in the mercy of God, we believe just like you all do. But the elector looking and saying, what in the world is going on here? I do not understand why that we're being so tried and so tested and these others seem like they get by with anything and everything. They can lie, they can do things that's not even honest, and it seems like that God just lets them go. And you know, no doubt there must have been, from the natural carnal standpoint, a point of envy and jealousy. Don't, if you'll be just frank and honest here tonight, there's probably been people that you've looked at and thought, you know, I, I kind of wish I was that way. We look up, they get by with everything. Don't seem like nothing ever comes away. Don't never be jealous of such a person. That's right. I tell you one thing, don't never be jealous of such a person because the real people of God are going to be tried like none other. Well, let's just bring it on down in every church age. There's been that set of twins, and this message has produced another set of twins. Now, when they come out and they got to a spot that they could talk, they said, Brother Branham said, Brother Branham said, Brother Branham said, seven thunder, seven seals, seven church ages. Well, in the initial stages when they were both babies and wearing diapers and sucking on bottles and pacifiers, they played along. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. God said a prophet, amen. Thank you, Jesus. And they acted like little babies. But as they begin to grow up and they begin to take sides and this one followed that man and this one followed Joshua and this one followed Caleb and this one followed this one and that one and that one and they went and having debates, what are they doing? It's a sign they're growing up. When ours are growing up, then they begin to draw lines. Well, I'm the one that sent the bride to lead the bride on. No, you're not. How in the world could you be? You was with him. I had it with him. He called my name on tape. I'm the one that sent the bride. No, I know all, both of you are wrong. I'm the one to bring clarification to the message. Because it started out in the seven stages of the pyramid. And Brother Branham was the messenger to the Laodicean age. But since we have left the Laodicean age and moved over into the bride age, then Brother Branham is no longer our messenger. So now we've got another messenger because we're living in another age. I call them all by one name. Liars. Liars. Amen. No matter difference what the last name is, they're all liars. Well, praise be to God. Well, it ain't no wonder I'm so hated, is it? Well, it's the truth anyway. But we know that it must come in our message as well. So we've got some that go this way, some go that way, some go another way. I saw a video clip today and oh, it just made me sick. I, I forgot it actually, actually had it on my phone. And it, it was in my pocket and I heard something. I thought, what in the world? So I pulled it outside of my pocket and it was a certain preacher in another country from here. And this preacher believes that he's Elohim. And he preaches that he's Elohim. And he preaches that his church is actually the gate to heaven. So here was all these hundreds of people, and they were screaming his name. His name was not Reagan. But we'll say it this way, Reagan, Elohim, 
Reagan, Elohim, Reagan, Elohim. His name was another name. Here was hundreds and hundreds of people standing up on their feet, waving their arms, screaming to the top of their voice, and screaming this preacher's name and calling him Elohim. Whenever I looked at this, you know what I said? I said, Jesus, I thank you for the truth. I thank you that I'm able to hear this message and not go out of my mind. Because some people, they study the Word and it actually drives them crazy. Aren't you glad you're sitting here tonight and you're around this Word and it hasn't drove you insane? Well, praise the Lord. But you realize now, so we go through all this, and people don't understand that, saying, what in the world is going on? Oh, they, they look at it and say, look at all this nonsense around the message. That proves the message ain't true. To me, it proves it even more. It's the truest thing there is on the earth. You don't find this kind of nonsense in the Baptist organization. You don't find this in the Church of God, even in the Antichrist, I mean the Church of Christ. You don't find it in the Nazarene, the Episcopalian. You don't find that in none of them. Why? The devil's done got basically the whole system out yonder. But he wants to try to attach himself in such nonsense to make this message look like it's wrong. But to me, it proves it over and over again. The devil fears this message more than any other thing thing on the earth there's not a Baptist church a Methodist church a charismatic church I don't care who they are there's not a one of them in the land that the devil fears like he does a Holy Ghost filled message church with a God called pastor in the pulpit preaching the word not push and play but preaching the word and the spirit of God moving among that congregation and them getting filled with the Holy Ghost and seeing the power of God move that is a church the devil hates and Brother Sitcher, I'll tell you one thing, he'll do everything in his power to stop that church, stop them people, stop that ministry. But we are unstoppable. We are not swallowable. We are not defeatable. Come on, saints. We are the bride of the Lord Jesus, not because we chose ourselves, not because we're better than anybody else, but because God chose us before the foundation of the world. It is not us keeping us. It is Him keeping us us we get weary we get down we get frustrated but there's something inside of us that is beyond us it is bigger than us it is greater than us because it ain't us hey so was it with the saints James was writing to so was it with the same saints that Peter was writing to but they needed a clarification to understand the trials. So in verse 2, James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers, which the word divers is colors, and it means of different types and different variations. Divers temptations, and the word as I read it to you last week, means to try or an experiment or a trial or a proving. The trial of man's fidelity integrity, virtue, and constancy. Now this is not now like that you're being tempted. So Satan is tempting you to do something wrong and then you rejoice. Satan tempts you with something that is contrary to the word. Oh no, that's, that's a fiery dart. That is not what James is referring to. But he's referring to when your father in his grace will allow you to go through a fiery trial, which is not the same thing as a fiery dart. A fiery dart comes from hell. It is ignited by the 
flames of hell, a fiery trial comes to you under great observation, constant watching by your heavenly Father to make sure that every day, every hour of that trial is carefully monitored. Praise God. Speak to us tonight, Lord. Can you imagine you have a Father that is so mindful of you that He watches every day of your trial and whenever you need it the most, He will give you the strength and the energy and the encouragement that you need. Maybe some days you need a little more than others. Maybe some hours of the day you need a little more. Every hour of your trial is monitored. Every day, every week of your trial is monitored. We're not talking about a, a God, Satan, who will wind up taking you to the lake of fire. But we're talking about a God that loves you so much that when He allows you to go through things, it is for your good. It is for your benefit. And He wants to try you in order to bring out. Even if you prove that, well, I had this weak spot in me. Well, God knew that before you ever did. But He wanted to show you. And He wanted to allow you the ability to be able to see. So you could look at, oh, Father, I didn't realize that. I, I thought I was stronger than that in that area. Thank you, Lord, for allowing that to come my way. I'll be a better man, Lord. I'll be a better woman because I've learned I cannot try trust myself in that area I actually thought anybody going to hear me tonight I actually thought Lord I was better there I thought I was stronger there but this has helped me to understand where I am then when you fall into such, you come out of it on the other side and the devil thinks, boy, I'm going to destroy him. Nope, God watching you. And oh, when he comes to where you feel like at the breaking point, God will say to the devil, back up, back up. Oh my, look at Job. Whenever, look at how God was monitoring the trial of Job. Satan couldn't do what he wanted to. He wants to try to convince me and you he can do whatever he wants to do. Don't you believe a word of it. Don't you believe a word. Oh, I'll tell you, he'll huff and puff and say he's going to blow your house down. He'll blow his brains out before he blows down my house. Because my house ain't blowable unless God gives him permission. And if God gives him permission, that means God got a better one built for me somewhere else. And it's time for me to move out anyhow. The devil is not all-powerful. He is not omnipotent. He is not all-knowing. Come on. He can only be at one place at one time. He cannot do whatever he wants to you. He can only do what God will allow him to do to you. Oh, I think we're going to have church tonight. What do you say? Because God is monitoring you. God is watching over you to know when you've had enough. And enough to back the devil. All right, devil, back off today. He needs a break today. She needs a break today but God I said back off yes sir oh don't you love such a father you see God always brings the end result of something desired for our lives James goes on to say in verse 3 knowing this that the trying of your faith work is patience enduring Patient continuance, patient waiting, steadfastness, and constancy or endurance. So this is what that a real trial coming from God does. Not self-inflicted stuff now. Not things that Satan offering to us. But whenever God will allow it to be produced in our lives. So it will work together to make us stronger people. Now remember, this is not perfecting sinlessness in us. This is not what makes us sinless. This is working on our constant 
consistency and our character and our fidelity toward the Word of God. Now, you can be totally sinless as far as in your soul, sitting here tonight in the eyes of God, and whenever you pray, God don't even hear your voice, but God hears the voice of the Lord Jesus, and yet still be lacking several, several vital things in your character. You understand? Now, God can look at your soul and say that your soul is perfect, and then God can look down at your character and say, but you need this and you need that and the other. And then you go to church and you say, my goodness, Brother Donnie confuses me because he tells us how sinless we are, how perfect we are, and then he comes back on Saturday night, tires the hide off of us. I mean, makes me feel so low I could crawl underneath a concrete block with a 10-gallon hat on and never even touch it. I don't understand what in the world he's doing. Well, it's time you understand. I'm preaching to the two yous. I said, I'm preaching to the two yous. And that one that's sinless is the real you. And that other of you is the one that's keeping your character from being developed. Well, praise God. That one of you that needs this hide burn is that one that gets aggravated and upset and says this or that or the other. Come on, children. And yet God so wants our Christianity to empower our lives that he doesn't just want perfect souls, but he wants that to merge over into our everyday life to where we bring our spirit under control. We bring our eyes under control. And we bring our tongue wow under control and we bring every aspect of our being under control of the sinless one who is in the residence in our soul well praise the lord you see it's the only way that god can develop character in our lives now our character is not generated from the seed gene if it was every one of us tonight would have absolute complete perfection but God wanted this so that he would be able to sever it and this would be a lifelong commitment for us as the people of God. Unlike the new birth, when a person is truly born again, it's one time and forever. If you ever truly get born again, get the seal of God, you don't have to get resealed and resealed and resealed and resealed. If you ever get sealed once, you're sealed forever. Now you might get a renewing or a refreshing as the Bible says, but this is totally different, the new birth, than your character. And God chose to make it that way. Even at his own advent coming to the earth in the form of sonship, he separated himself. Now listen carefully so you don't misunderstand me. He separated himself from a perfect representation of godly character. Now the Lord Jesus' character was perfected by the things that he went through. But yet it was not that he was sinless. It was not that he had done wrong. Remember the Terry said the other day. It wasn't that there was anything about him that was sin. He separated himself in the act of condescension from a perfect character in understanding so that he might learn character, so that he might be taught things that humans will need to know because he's going to be our intercessor. So we do not have an intercessor tonight on the throne of God that does not understand human problems. He understands them very well because he was a human. He understands fear. He understands what it's like to be forsaken by friends. He understands what it's like to be misunderstood and for people to take your words and twist them around. He understands all about that because he went through it himself. Why? He had to sever himself from that perfect character and allow 
allow himself to come to the earth. And Luke 2.52 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and favor before God and men. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus, the Logos, coming from the eternal realm of God, coming out of that great light as the Logos, condensing, and when he come down to the earth, he severed himself or separated himself from that perfection of knowing all things and could have brought to this earth a perfect character which needed no molding, needed no suffering. But look, if he had not have suffered, he could not have died. If he did not die, he could not have paid the price. So God incorporated suffering into the penalty that must be, oh Lord, the penalty that must be paid. And at the same time, not only will the lamb suffer when it dies, but the lamb will learn in his journey a progressive stage and growth of a son of God and learn how the character must, well, praise God, character must be molded. Oh my. Notice James goes on to say, but let patience have her perfect or complete work that ye may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. So if we will be complete Christians, now if we're saved here tonight, we're saved. If we're filled with the Holy Ghost, we're filled with the Holy Ghost. But that don't mean that your character is yet complete. How many still needs work on your character? Praise God. Most of y'all was honest tonight. Thank God. That judgment sermon must have shook some of y'all up. Well, how many of y'all feel like you got the Holy Ghost? You're born again. Wow. So you're able to sever that, are you? You're able to sever that from your soul that there is a human element. And where does the character lay? Where is it developed at? Well, it's developed between the supernatural and the natural realm. It's a, it's a phenomenal thing, the way that God designed it. Had it been projected from the supernatural only, then when the seed gene of God got birthed, God could just automatically embed it inside. There's an inbred nature inside the nature of the seed. So when the seed, when you got born again, automatically it would change you. So much power rendered from the soul that automatically your temper would be gone. You'd be mild-mannered. You'd be mild-tempered. You'd never raise your voice to nobody. You'd never be grouchy to nobody. Boy, now I'm preaching on heaven, ain't it? That? There's sure nobody here like that. Anyway, so you never have any problems in life. Anybody saying thing to you, you'd always turn the other cheek. You're always kind. You're always nice. You never gossip. But God severed it. He said, no, I'm not going to do it that way. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put my divine nature inside their seed. And then once they are born again by the very breath of God, the very seed itself will project and it will start growing out. And it will start about the size of a button down inside their soul. And as it starts growing from that supernatural realm, the more they let go of carnality and natural things, the more it will grow and grow and grow and grow. And as it is growing, they're learning how to submit. Now this act of submission is totally different of course in character development yet it goes hand in hand like this and as you're learning to submit then God is also working on the human side which has not been born again yet it's, it's, it's amazing how that this human side's not been born again it's not been fully yet brought into that spot but it's also becoming subject why brother Donnie why because God wants the deposit in your soul to overpower the nature of your first birth still left in your body it proves your body's going to be changed Folks who say they're Christians and it don't reflect on the outside, they're not born again yet. 
Because if they ever get born again, the deposit inside the soul will begin to reflect itself on the outside. Because Brother Ram said, it quickens your mortal body. Now, when I was in Pentecost, I used to quote that to justify shouting. But I found out, coming to the message of the hour, that scripture wasn't even used that way anyhow. But actually, it quickens your mortal body, so it quickens it away from sin. And even though the body itself is still sin, but it quickens you away to where it makes you turn your head. Well, I, I, I'll tell you one thing, so-and-so done so-and-so to me, but whenever your body is quickened, you say, well, I'm going to pray for them that God will forgive them. I'm going to pray for them because I believe that's what Jesus would do, and that's what I'm going to do. So what does it do? It quickens your body. So what will the rapture be? It will be the final quickening of many quickenings. Don't you understand when something in you, brothers, helps you turn your head, that is a foretaste of the rapture? When something, sisters, inside of you helps you to forgive people when they treat you wrong or you find out they're gossiping on you and telling lies, instead of you getting back on Facebook or, boy, running right up to them, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I don't believe I would if I was you. You probably need it all. I do. I'll tell you one thing, I'm going to do this or that. No, I believe if you'll let the Holy Ghost quicken your body, it'll bring your body to quickening forgiveness instead of giving them a piece of your mind. Well, I've got something to say, bless God, I'll tell you one thing, I'm a victim. Oh, you're a victim, are you? Well, let me remind you of a perfect example of a perfect victim. His name was the Lord Jesus Christ. And show me where he ever stood up and, and defended himself. Show me when he stood there and made lies against him. Come on now, saints, don't get quiet. Oh my, he was the perfect victim. So if you're a perfect victim, then act like him, and I'll say amen to your testimony. Woo, praise God. I feel like I'm the only one you're talking to that. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Y'all just sitting there looking at me. Now, in order for God to be able to make this great achievement, can't you see why this is so far above the average church person? I mean, I realize what I've said already would blow most so-called Christians totally out of the water. They wouldn't know, what in the world is the man talking about? I sat there for 30 minutes and didn't understand nothing he said. I understood one word. He said Jesus. That's the only thing I understood. Well, I'm talking about Jesus being revealed in bride form. You see, this is what he's demanding of his people in this hour. So the majority of Christendom, they wouldn't even have a clue what direction you're talking about. Because to them, character, I mean, you know, they're still struggling with smoking and then drugs and alcohol and this, that, and other. Yet they're Christians, they're just smoking Christians and they're drug addict Christians and they got this and that and the other. Because, you know, that they can't overcome. I feel sorry for them because they really can't overcome. The songwriters constantly writing songs of God understands why you can't overcome that's what the blood is for. That's what the blood is for. You know, because you're going to do it and you, you can't keep from doing it. You can keep from doing it if you get born again. Well, praise God. You can live such a dedicated life to God that the prophet of God said a man or woman can live so close to God that the devil don't even know what to do with you. You imagine getting up in the morning, which is the way it ought to be with every Holy Ghost filled child of God, and the devil's in hell. They ain't even had their breakfast yet, and they're having nervous breakdowns because you lived another night. You get up and set them feet down the side of the floor, oh my, out of the side of the bed, and that devil said, Lord, have mercy, here they come. But for most of us, it's the other way around. Oh God, I survived another night. Oh Lord, it was awful. I didn't see part of none. Lord, have mercy. I got to face another day. And the devil said, boy, this is going to be an easy day. They done started out with a negative confession they've done started down they've done started out down they've started out depressed they've started out lowering a snake's belly they, they ain't gonna be no problem all day I'm just gonna kind
kind of hang around down in hell because they're going to talk themselves by the end of the day worse shape than what they are now. I wish somebody would preach it. They did not. I'll tell you one, but Brother Donnie, do you feel good every day you go? Lord, have mercy, no. My goodness, but you know what? I ain't never seen a day yet that me and Jesus couldn't handle together. I ain't never seen a trial I ever been through. Come on, church. I ain't never seen nothing that we've ever faced as a body. I ain't never seen nothing I ever faced as an individual that my God was not more than able and that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So why in the world should we figure that our God has left us? He ain't left us. He's always with us. The angels of the Lord are encamped about. But brother, darling, things ain't going right. Of course they ain't going right. I don't expect they're going to go perfect. We're living in the middle of hell. But we're getting ready to go to a world that is perfect. Where there is no trouble. Where there is no heartache. Where there is no sorrow. Notice, notice this in 2 Corinthians 4.14 Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Now we read a portion of this last Wednesday. For which cause we faint not, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Hey friends, it ain't even Sunday to Sunday. It ain't even Wednesday to Saturday. According to the Bible, it's day by day. But I don't always feel it. We're not talking about what you do. We're talking about what he does. Notice in verse 17. For our light affliction, which is... But for a moment... And y'all had them long moments? I've had about 63 years of one of them moments. <laughs> but notice what Paul is doing. He's contrasting our troubles with eternity. Now he's not trying to make the saints of God feel bad. He's not trying to make them feel faithless. And feel like that they've gone through nothing, but he wants to contrast eternity. He wants to contrast the separation of those souls that we looked at this past weekend. So compared to what people will suffer in hell, my trials are light. And but for a moment. So if I'm tried every day of my life, and I'll be 63 in a couple of months, then compare that to someone who's been in hell once they get there for a thousand years. Is my trials light or heavy? Has my 63 years been a long, extensive period compared to someone who will burn in the lake of fire for millions of years? It has been but a moment. Keep that in mind when you're going through your hardships. This is just a moment. This is just a moment. This is just a moment. You just keep saying it about 32 years and finally you might believe it. <laughs> For our, notice.
notice now how Paul puts the identification that he does not identify the world. Now we know we're, we're not the only ones that have sickness and trouble and heartache and difficulty. The world out here. Everybody out here is going through something. Everybody's going through something. But Paul separates the affliction of the people of God because theirs is more pronounced. Theirs is more is different than, than the people of the world. Do they all have sickness? Of course. When you go to the doctor's office, it ain't all Holy Ghost filled saints in there. You go to the doctor's office, it ain't all message people, and it ain't all people that say they're Christians. You've got sinners, you've got saints, you've got hypocrites, you've got liars, you've got drunks, you've got dope addicts, you've got everything in the world sitting there. But Paul wants the saints to realize that the affliction of the people of God is categorized in a different category. Because what we are going through for the sake of Christ and conscience sake is not because we're a human. Many of the sicknesses we go through, we are suffering with other human beings. Many of the things that we deal with, we are dealing with along with other human beings that believe nothing about God. But Paul said, I want you to understand that what you're going through for the cause of Christ and being a believer, it sets you separate from all the rest of the world. Oh my, it makes you different from all the rest of the world. Oh yes, the humanity is suffering. But when God allows us to go through something in our body, even though you may see the same doctor and take the same antibiotic and go through the same treatment, but if God orchestrated that for your trial, you will get patience out of that trial, you'll get stability out of that trial, and all the other person will get is better. You also will get better, but you'll have more patience, more constancy, more fidelity. You understand that God takes our trials. We go through difficulty just like the rest, but when God orchestrates ours, amen, he has something in mind more than just getting over it next week and feeling better. He's got a bigger story. So Paul is contrasting the present state with the future state of the saints. So for the present, he uses the words light for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And yet other people that go through some of the same afflictions you suffer, it benefits them nothing. They go to the doctor, they take their shots, they have their surgery or whatever more, and they get treatment and they feel better. So, well, I'm glad I'm over that. They got no patience out of it. They got no endurance out of it. They got no more constancy out of it. The tribulation didn't work. Patience, patience, experience, experience. All, all they got was better. But you got better, plus your patience got longer. And then your constancy, your fidelity toward the Word. So you walk up and say, boy, I'm so glad I'm feeling better. You say, man, I'm glad I'm over that. You ought to say, Lord, you and your wisdom allowed me to go through that. But I got more than better. I got constancy. I got faith. My fidelity was tried in a way that I never even thought possible. Lord, I love you for this. I thank you for allowing me to come through it. Because not only am I feeling better, but I'm a better man. I'm a better woman, I'm a better boy, I'm a better girl because you took this very same thing. Somebody else was diagnosed the same day in the doctor's office that I was. And they took the same treatment and they got better, but I got better plus. 
Amen. It's because of the insurance policy that you have. It's blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a fortune. Glory divine. Oh, my, you go through this and that and the other. And what does God do? God wounds up your full coverage package and say, you're not only going to feel better. You're going to have more faith. You're going to have more patience. You're going to have more endurance. You're going to have more fidelity. When you come out on the other side, you'll be a better man or a better woman. You're one trial closer to your body change. You are one victory closer to the resurrection. Let me just remind you, the beast and the false prophet are cast into this lake of fire at the beginning of the millennium. At the end of the millennium, Satan will be loosed out of his prison, go about his people. As we read it this weekend, John said he will be cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. They have been there the entire time the millennium was going on for a thousand years. Now if at the end of the thousand years they were annihilated, that'd still be a long time. No doubt they will go on and on and on. So compare your life your troubles to a thousand years in a lake which burns with fire and sulfur. I agree, Brother Paul. It's light. Can anybody agree with me? It's like it may seem like eternity, but actually it's not. It's but for a moment, Brother Dale. You know it is when you're going through something. Oh, my, when you're having fun, time flies. But when you ain't having fun, it seems like it drags along. Oh, my goodness, it drags and drags and drags. And when you're enjoying doing something, it's like, wow, it's gone. How did that happen that fast? And when suddenly you say, I do wish this day would pass. I do wish this trial would pass. Well, just keep that moment watch on. Quit watching for them hours. Quit watching for days and weeks and months and say, I've got this moment watch. How many people are going to think you're crazy, but what's new? I've got this moment watch. According to the Word of God, my trials, my whole life, only add up to one moment. So I've got all eternity to rejoice in perfect health. I've got all eternity to have perfect peace. I've got all eternity if God can mold in me and make in me and shape in me through this light affliction. I will have all of eternity to enjoy eternal bliss. Second Corinthians 4.18 while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Tell me how you do that. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Anybody like my notes from this scripture on and explain it for us? You see, preachers can say some pretty far out stuff. What is this man trying to say to us that we don't look at the things that are here that we see, but we actually look at those things which we cannot see? 
For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Your house, your car, your job, your work, your yard, your biscuits, your apple pies, your puddings, your Facebook, our church building. Come on, saints. All of those things that we look at are temporal, are they not? There's absolutely nothing that man makes. Think about it. You buy a brand new car, brand new vehicle, it's no time. You're sitting in Walmart and somebody runs a buggy into it. You feel like ripping their head off. I mean, you feel like praying for them, that God will be merciful to them. And you say, what in the world happens if I do car? You get a new dress, sisters, you get that. What is it? Nothing in this life lasts. You build a new house, in two or three years, the brick goes, to, this happens to it, and the paint falls off here. And that. Why? There's nothing in this world but eternal life that will constantly be refreshed. Don't you understand why you hate that? Don't you understand why you don't like it when things get old and get scratchy? Because there's something down inside of you calling for a world where every day will look as the first one. Glory to God. Can you imagine Brother Dow having a mansion on a hillside and you'll never need painting? You'll never need a facelift. You'll never need a redoing. There'll be no remodeling in heaven. You'll never need a face job, a nose job, a neck job. There will be no need of it there. It'll be the one place where nothing ever ages. But until that time, we fix, we paint, we repair, we redo, back up, punt, redo, repair, fix. Come on, be honest. Notice in Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus. I wish a lot more of us. See that. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Notice now, made lower than the angels. For the suffering of death. Look at this word suffering. The affliction, misfortune, calamity, evil of an inward state, an affliction or a passion. He was made to be able to suffer. Notice, I love this verse 10. It's, It's a phenomenal verse. For it became him glory be to God it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation Perfect through sufferings. 
it was becoming to him to stoop to this low degree in order to bring many sons. If you notice the way Paul writes it, he doesn't say to take serpent seed and make sons out of them. But to bring many sons back to this glory which they come from. So it was suitable to divine wisdom to be able to project in this great act of condescension. It was becoming to him in order to bring many sons back into this eternal weight of glory. As he prayed in St. John, Father, glorify thou me with the glory that I had with thee before the world began. And then he goes on down a couple of more chapters. And he said, Father, I pray that they may be with me where I am, that they may see my glory. And then he asked that we might be able to share and have that glory. So in order for him to come to this, the sacrifice has to be able to suffer. So the sacrifice could not go on the cross. The sacrifice could not go to the whipping post and be beat and be painless. The sacrifice could not have been whipped and whipped and whipped and stood there a hard, callous man or his, his, his feelings desensitized from his nerves and his nervous system, the channel being broken whenever the, it would hit him to where it did not send it up to the cerebellum, up to his brain signal, into the brain stem and then send back all these reverberations of pain. He must be allowed to suffer. He must suffer persecution. The Saloma, the sacrifice must suffer in order to bring you back. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect. Now look at this, Talio. Finish, fulfill, complete. To carry through completely. Now the Lord Jesus was not faulty. He was not flawed. It was not like that he come to the earth and he had this little sin and this little problem. You know, the Lord Jesus had a little problem lying every now and then and had this little problem. That's not what the word is even being used for. But he allowed himself to stoop beneath what he was in the original format. He allowed himself to step down beneath what he was. This is part of the condescension of him in order to bring us up in our ascension. Condescension brings our, oh glory be to God. His condescension brings our ascension as we climb higher and higher. Don't you understand? As God is bringing you up the virtues, as God is bringing you up the path of your journey to the top of the pyramid, it is the very grace of God in retrospect. Look what he done he condescend and come down in order to start at the bottom and help turn it and bring it back up and he's not going up by himself but you're coming up right along with him amen and all those things inside of us being brought and perfected till it will be a complete work in the body of Jesus Christ around the world it won't just be in Tennessee it won't just be in Louisiana God has a bride around the world oh and bring me many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect. And Jesus never had to repent, Father. I, I, I said this wrong today. I'm sorry. Uh, Father, I lost my temper. Please forgive me, Father. Uh, Father, I thought this wrong. Father, that's not the perfection that he's talking about. But it's complete. So he come to the earth incomplete with this human identity. 
It's staggering, friends. It's staggering. Him of whom all things are. Him who made everything. But when he came, he said, I can't come that way. I can't come with the complete character. I can't come with the, with the perfect that I, I've got to separate myself from that. I'll be the first of many that will grow and learn and suffer. Can I have a few more minutes? <laughs> Notice this word, to carry through completely, to accomplish, finish, bring to an end. Add what is yet wanting in order to render a thing full. Not, not sinless now. Not that well, he done this wrong and Jesus finally come to a place Jesus could overcome looking at women. And Jesus finally come to a spot. He got, oh, he got over that drinking problem. You know, Jesus really struggled with it. Oh, man, he... And no, 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 no. No, 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 no. He, he had no sin. No sin about him at all. But he separated himself from this character in order to be the first one of God's sons coming upon the earth. Oh, glory to God. In order to bring that out, to become the captain of their salvation. Why in the world would Paul use the word captain? Because he's bringing forth an army. <laughs> Amen. Amen. He wasn't the mayor. He wasn't the president or the vice president. He was the captain of the Lord's host. Blessed be the Lord God. So that lets us know there is an army in the making. Who's it going to be? It's going to be the army of the living God. And the captain himself has been this way. So what's he going to say to those in lower ranks? Come on, men. Come on, women. Come on, young boys and girls. Follow me. Follow me. You can do it. I've done it before you. Add what is yet wanting in order to render a thing full. So he come to the earth and emptied himself, emptied himself of this character and started from scratch. To bring to the end goal or proposed. Praise be to God. It's phenomenal, friends. Complete, complete it by means of suffering. The Lord Jesus suffered way before Calvary. He suffered his entire life. He was persecuted from the day he was born to the day he died. He bore the reproach of being a bastard child his entire life. I wonder how much was upon him and the Bible is signing from the age of 12 to 33. I wonder how much he went through as a teenager. What he went through in his preteens and what he went through after his teens and coming up into his 20s. What all did he go through and suffer in order? What's God molding? God's molding. God's working. God's molding. Why? Because he emptied himself of this character. Jesus learned obedience. Now I know some of you Jesus owners, this is tough on you. You need a revelation. I'm not making this up, this is in your Bible. So why would he do it? Brother Terry, so he would be holy, holy, completely qualified for the job. 
So he would be completely qualified for the job. He's going to be the high priest for the faith of millions and millions of people down through seven church ages. He's going to be the intercessor. He's got to know how to intercede for the elect. How to intercede for the foolish virgin. How to intercede for the 144,000. Where do they all fit? He's got to know how to intercede for every category. He's got to know how to send the Spirit of God to the foolish virgin in a different way than he would the bride. He's got to anoint the bride ministers in a seven-course way in order to bring them to a full rapture faith in the last days. And listen, I know you may not like it, but he also is helping these foolish virgin preachers out here to get their people ready for tribulation period they don't feed on the same stuff we do come on saints and yet he has to sort through all of that and delve it all out and variegate it according to his great infinite wisdom it was completely becoming to him to grow into this character praise God can't you see he was completely fitted to be our Savior. Well, let me just go ahead and tell you, Brother Branham wasn't fit to be our Savior. Paul wasn't fit. James, Peter, you, your mama. Now, your mama might have been a good mama, but she wouldn't have been a good Savior. There's only one that was fitted to be a Savior, and it ain't Mary. You say, Hail Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners out of the time of our departure. Amen. Say it till you're blue in the face. And Mary ain't going to do one thing for you. Brother, if I'm in trouble, I don't want the secretary. I want the main man. Praise be to God. If you're sick and you've got some kind of disease going on, you want some medical student that just can quote the book? Or do you want a doctor in there that's got some experience? Well, praise be to God. We're facing the end time, brother. I don't want to wash down a little puny Jesus given to us by the denomination. I want a water walker. Oh, hallelujah. I want a water walker. I want one that can raise the dead. I want a Jesus that can heal the sick. I want a Jesus that can change lives. I want a Jesus that can change bodies. I don't want a watered down weak Jesus that can't do nothing. So it was a completeness of filling up to become a complete Savior. You see, whenever we go through trials, we are made morally better by our trials. He wasn't. You imagine Jesus never lost his temper. Jesus never had to go back and apologize to him. I said, you know what, Brother West, buddy, I'm sorry. I was really having a bad day when you asked me that. I, I, I just, I, I just, I, I shouldn't have said that. I, I said it wrong. I raised my voice and I felt really bad about it. Jesus never had to apologize. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Glory to God. We are made morally better. We're made stronger. Not him. There was nothing morally wrong with him. But he severed himself from what he was in order to grow back in to what he was. Don't you understand? He was becoming him. Don't you understand, Lord? Don't you understand what you're doing? You're becoming 
never pre-existed like that. But this is God's thought of what He wanted you to be as a son or daughter of God. Every trial, every test, every difficulty of life, you're becoming that thought. Oh, hallelujah! Abraham become what God wanted him to be, and that was a father. Abraham had to come to pass. Oh, hallelujah! It's the same way with you and I. We are becoming what God wants us to be. We are coming to pass. What does prophecy do? It comes to pass. You are a prophecy in human form. And you are coming to pass. You are becoming you of what God thought of you. You see, when we go through such... We're going through the fiery furnace, the affliction. And morally we're better. Not him. He didn't need to be no better. He was the best. I'll tell you one thing, bless God. I'll tell you one thing. Jesus wasn't God. You're a bald-faced liar. I know there's some of these nodhead preachers in the message say Jesus wasn't God. You need to get out of the pulpit and get the garbage dump. You ain't no preacher. You ain't no God called man want to get in a pulpit and say Jesus wasn't God. You're a liar. Prophet of God said he's either God or the biggest deceiver the world ever knew. But he was God. Before he become this, he was everything. Complete, whole, perfect, everything. So he not only changed his body when he come down and condescend, but it's like he stripped himself. He stripped himself of this in order to grow. What's he doing? He's making a new order. What's he fixing to do? Grow. More sons and daughters of God. A second Adam planted in a new garden. <laughs> Woo! Let me find a place to close. Samaria church age. You see, he himself suffered. He learned obedience by the things he suffered. He was actually made perfect. Of the things that he suffered. Hebrews 5, 8 to 9. Though he were a son. Yet learned he obedient. Learned. Jesus learned. How could he do that? Because he stripped himself of himself. Oh God. He stripped himself. He didn't have to learn. But he said I want to. So my children can learn. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all of them that obey him. In very plain language, the very character of Jesus was perfected by suffering. According to Paul, he has left his church a measure of suffering that they too, by their faith in God, while suffering for him, would come to a place of perfection. Now this is not replacing the blood now. The blood is what makes you sinless. We're not talking about making you to a place, oh, I never have a mistake again. It's a state of completion. 
Jesus had to be complete before he could complete you. And he was complete before he come here, but he stripped himself of his completeness in order to bring you to a state of completeness. Does everybody completely understand that? Praise God. Praise God. Don't you understand when he become the Logos? What was it? Out of that great light come this little lick of fire. What was it? Little light coming out of big light. You don't remember, but when he come out, you come out with him. You don't remember because you're part of the Logos. Everything that went out there is the attribute of the fullness of God. Everything that would ever become out of God was right there in him, out of the eternal essence of the Godhead. Oh, glory to God. Speak to us, Father. But yet, what did he do? If he come down to this earth in that form, he could not suffer. He could not die. He could not learn. He could not be tried. So he said, I will separate myself from myself. I will go down. I will sever myself from all knowing. I will separate myself from all divine favor I will separate myself from all perfect character and I will learn the way my children will learn I will allow my character to be developed it will take years it will take years and trials in order that I can help my children My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But a patience ever perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Unless we suffer with him, we cannot reign with him. You have to reign, suffer rather to reign. The reason for this is that character simply is never made without suffering. Character is a victory, not a gift. You understand this one word there is the key to it all. This is why Jesus had to strip himself of himself. If God would have given him, if he would have come to the word, the Lord, the fullness of the God here, all that great capture, everything perfection was, it would have been a gift into the human body of the Lord Jesus. But he said, No, I'm not receiving it at the river. I'll not receive it at my at my purse. Let me grow into it. Well, praise God. Character is a victory, not a gift. A man without character can't reign because power apart from character is satanic. But power with character is fit to rule. And since he wants us to share even his throne on the same basis, the same basis, the same basis? The same basis? Are you stuck, Brother Donnie? No, I want you to get it. The same basis? That he overcame and is set down in his father's throne. Then we have to overcome the set with him. And the little light for a moment temporary suffering we go through now is not worthy to be compared to the tremendous glory that will be revealed in us when he comes oh what treasures are laid up for those who are willing to enter into his kingdom through much tribulation oh my think it not strange concerning the fiery trials that are to try you this is what Peter said is it strange that God wants us to develop 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 a Christ-like character that comes through suffering, not through revelations. 
not through deep mysteries. Can't you see why Satan wants to spin us in circles around this message? And he wants to convince us, oh, you've got to follow this man. Boy, he's so deep, he's so deep. Oh, man, this is the bright thing. We've got to have character. We're not going to leave this world without character. This is why folks can hate one another and despise one another and talk about one another and run one another down and think they're so deep. What good does our depths do if we ain't got no character? God ain't trying to polish your human character. God wants us to have a Christ-like character. Oh my, no sir, and we all have trials. We're all tried and chasing the sons. No one but goes through that. The church that is not suffering is not being tried, hasn't got it. It isn't of God. Let's stand. We'll read a couple more scriptures together. Let's stand. Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth other son whom he receiveth. But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, and ye are bastards. And not sons. Well, I can say glory to God. That don't apply to me. Hallelujah. I get whooped all the time. Anybody else in here get whooped beside me? Well, God bless you, sons and daughters. James 5.10. Take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Why? In order to mold in them. Look in verse 11. Behold, we count them happy. Which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. I find that so amazing because many religious theologians and critics say the book of Job was actually a fake. And Job never even lived. Apparently, James believed different. I believe with James. Praise God. You have heard of the patience of Job. We've heard of the patience of Job. And have seen the end of the Lord. Glory be to God. We've not only heard of Job. But we've seen when the Lord was here, we've seen His end. Notice the end of the Lord in His humanity. That the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. This was the end of the Lord Jesus. This brought Him to a place where He could be pitiful. And have pity on us. Do you honestly think God would have dealt with us and our mistakes and our failures as much as He has if we'd been in the Old Testament? Face the fact, some of y'all been toast years ago. Come on, think of it. Don't you understand the new covenant required a new redeemer, a new approach? Look at the end of the Lord. The end result of the Lord was what? It produced a pitiful understanding that he did not have before. Now, it wasn't that he didn't know it. He knew it. But he never experienced it. There's something about it when you experience it. 
You may go to all kinds of funerals where people lose their mothers and you're able to walk up there and say, God bless you, God bless you. We all lose loved ones and they feel like smacking you in the face whenever you say that. We all lose loved ones. Isn't it amazing though when it's your mama? Oh. Oh, we all go through trials. We all go through tests. Until you're going through the same one that you made lightly because your brother went through. And you say, Lord, have mercy. How in the world did they deal with this? So your experience made you a different person, Dad. Oh, I've seen some of you all when I've talked about kidney stones and y'all just... <laughs> y'all are just like, and I thought, God, I hope they don't have one. Because if they ever do, that smile will go off their face. I mean in a matter of seconds. You hear about somebody going, oh my goodness, I can't believe. Until you go through and say, oh. <laughs> what? Experience. So Jesus comes to the earth stripped of this. But when he leaves, he leaves so full. That's why the scripture tells us when you see other people that's going through certain things, consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. Once you've been there and done that yourself, it kind of makes you a little bit more precautious. Well, I'll tell you one thing I'd do this and that and the other. If it's me, I'd do. I hope you don't have to prove that. I found out a long time ago we're better off to keep our big fat mouth shut as much as possible. Scripture tells us to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Most of us don't believe that yet. We still rattle too much. But if it ever hits us, we'll understand. We give an account for those words. When you experience it yourself, you come out on the other side feeling totally different. So Jesus walks into this world and He walks out an experienced Savior. An experienced Redeemer, fully qualified for 2,000 years of redemption work. There ain't never been one like him and never will. Well, let me go ahead and update you. Once the bride leaves this world, she will leave this world with such character, such nature developed in her by the trials and things she goes through. She'll go straight from the middle of Laodicea, right in the middle of hell. She won't have to stop for character supplement school and training how to act in the protocol, the court of the king. She'll go straight from hell around the throne of God. You imagine one moment you're immortal and the next one you're immortal. One moment you're dealing with a headache or backache or troubles and problems and the next moment you're changed, you don't even have a memory of those problems. Even the memory don't even exist. And you find yourself with the rest of the saints of God and you're moving in another dimension, traveling faster than the speed of light. And you find yourself before the throne of God. And a few moments ago, you was brushing your teeth. You, still, you had toothpaste in your mouth. You was eating your Dunkin' Donut and drinking your favorite coffee. And your car was left sitting in the drive-thru. 
Praise be to God. And now you're walking down streets of gold. And this word will so complete you. The trials of life will so complete you. You'll walk right out of this world into paradise. Amen. That's what I'm talking about, brother and sister. <laughs> Why? You'll leave here, brother Matt, complete. You'll leave here without anything lacking. Praise God. I'll leave full because he came empty. He emptied himself. Kenosis. He emptied himself. Praise God. Now let me stop. I won't mind. I'll tell you, sometimes you just break into monumental moments. I had some of you right here tonight. I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Heavenly Father, thank you for this service tonight, Lord. I pray it will help us each one to understand why it's so absolutely necessary and essential that we go through such things. For many of us, we would never choose the trials, the heartbreaking, difficult things that we go through. We would never choose those we had multiple choice and we could go down through like selecting we would never go through most of the things we go through we'd always pick lighter than what we're able to bear and we'd pick easier burdens and lighter difficulties and problems that's what we are as humans it's just built in our human nature to go the lighter way but you don't give us a choice you don't give us a sheet of paper and put a pen in our hand and say select what you think you could handle but you orchestrate it you progress it as our growth matures, as our constantly becomes stronger, our fidelity becomes more stable, our impatience is replaced with patience, our unbelief is replaced with faith, our unstableness in our soul is replaced with eternal stability. The trials intensify, they become greater, more tricky, and your power becomes greater. Is it's released to sustain us through the things in life that would drive us crazy without you being there to help us. But we can stand here tonight and say, not how great we are, not how much we've overcome, but what a mighty God you are. And you're the one that's helped us, Lord. It won't be us standing there that day bragging, boy, I've done this and I've done that, and I'll tell you one thing, I've done this and that and the other. We will stand there as unprofitable servants, as it were. Every one of us taking our crowns and casting them at your feet and saying, Lord, you're the one who brought us here. It was your grace. It was your mercy. It was your sustaining strength and power. Praise God. I don't want to wait till I get there to say that, Lord. I want to say it right here tonight. It's you that's brought me safe thus far. It's you that's given me strength and ability. Almighty God. I truly come to this earth without anything. 
conceived from my mother, in my mother rather of my father, born a sinner, lost. But I believe that representation was near me. Glory to God. When I took that breath of life and early in the morning, July the 9th, 1956, it would lay there for years. Then something would start dealing with me. I'd start my spiritual journey, Trinitarian, believing many things would be so, so wrong. It would take years before the light would start shining brighter and brighter and brighter. Little did I know the journey you had before me, the trials I'd go through, the hard things I would have to face. Lord, I can look back and say one thing for sure. You have been constant. You have been faithful. And there's times I've failed. There's times I haven't been constant. I've had fears, anxieties, sorrow, trouble. I've complained about the journey. But even in my failures, you were still mighty. Even in my mistakes, you were still forgiving. Even in my complaining, you were still understanding. It's the lessons you learned 2,000 years ago. They're still paying off in my life to this very day. Praise God. If I lived in the Old Testament, you'd have already killed me. But you come to this earth and stripped yourself of such to learn it. Praise God. That you might walk hand in hand with me and teach me. Thank you, Jesus. I say thank you for it tonight, Father. I'm sure I've got a long way to go, but I've come a long way already. Praise God. We worship you tonight, Father. I don't want to just thank you for what you've done for me, and these people thank you for what you've done for them, but I want to thank you that you come down and stripped yourself, made yourself of no reputation, took upon yourself the form of a servant in Morphe, form of a servant, fashioned as a man. Praise God. Stripped yourself of your Logos nature. Stripped yourself of perfect understanding. Stripped yourself in order to enter into the human nature of experience. That you would be so qualified to be our Savior that in the middle of hell in the last days you will so perfectly save a people that they will be presented to you without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I don't know how you'll do it. I don't know how long it'll last. It may not be but five minutes. It might be an hour. It might be a week. But when the last name has been redeemed off that book and they're finished, there come a span of time that you will change your garments as it was. You'll step out from that mercy seat, put on your kingly garments, and prepare to come and get your bride. How long it'll be, I don't know. Five minutes, five hours, five days. I don't know how long you'll do it. But there will be an instant of time on the earth when the bride right in the middle of hell, anxiety, trouble, distress, whatever more going on, 
And the work of the Savior is so mighty in her soul. And the sustaining power keeping her so much. She don't even know it. But she don't even have a mediator on the throne. But the work is so perfected in her while he's changing her garments. It's sustained to the body change. Praise God. You changing your garments is a sign. We're fixing to change ours. Hallelujah. You step out in that priestly garment. Oh my, step from there. And then you change as it were. And you come out in your king garment. The angels will know today is the day. The time has arrived. Praise God. All over the world. It will set in motion. Thank you, Jesus. May there not be a one of us that will miss it, Lord. May we be prepared. Help us to turn the other cheek. Help us when we're treated wrong, Lord. Help us not to be vindictive. Help us, Lord, not to fight for our rights so much. Help us to be as a lamb, to surrender. Help us, Lord God. Oh, Jesus. We bless your name, Lord. Don't you love him tonight, children? You understand what I've said tonight. You understand how your seed, your, your, your nature can be so sinless in the eyes of God and yet your character lacked this and that and the other and God working on it. But you believe He's going to bring you to that completed state. You're going to leave complete. Praise God. Body, soul, and theophany. You will have arrived. You will have found me. Found you. Let's sing something together, Harry. I know it's Wednesday night. Kids got school tomorrow and all that. My goodness. In this presence, let's take just a few minutes. As soon as we dismiss, you can take your youngins and go home and throw them in the bed. But let's, let's just worship just a little bit. Oh, I don't, I don't want to dis, dismiss and, and leave this, this presence right here. My, do you understand what's been said here tonight? Oh, glory to God. Thank you for sharing with us tonight, Lord God. Amen. Oh, Lord, if they only knew, they only knew. These things wasn't pre-planned. They wasn't in notes. They come straight from your heart to us. Glory be to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Sing something, Mary. Oh, how I Yes.
see you this weekend. Brothers, and just meet in my office, please. God bless you. Go in the fear of God. Oh, how-